Welcome to the Inside Talent Podcast. This is a podcast for curious talent professionals where we'll interview global leaders from early talent, recruitment, human resources, diversity and inclusion. My name's Adriana and I'll be bringing you guests from a host of backgrounds, people from Fortune 500 companies, top tier law firms, professional services, rapidly growing startups, universities, education providers and disruptive technologists. We'll be talking through the ins and outs of talent management, what's worked, what's not worked, the successes, failures and challenges along the way. Whether it's scaling a summer internship program nationwide or the challenges of managing a large distributed team or the journey that these global leaders took in their careers. And trust us, some of these will surprise you. On today's podcast, we speak with Antonia Choi the Global Director of Recruitment and Employer Brand at law firm White & Case. Antonia shares her insights into her career in recruitment and talent acquisition, starting in finance and landing in human resources, the challenges facing top-tier law firms, building engaged, diverse pipelines of talent, and her opinion on the future of talent acquisition in the legal industry. Antonia's global insights starting her career in London and now working in New York, offer a fresh perspective on legal recruitment and talent acquisition. Today on our podcast, we have Antonia Choi, who is leading early talent recruitment at White & Case. Thank you for joining us today, Antonia. Uh, With all the pleasure in the world. So Antonia, if you could just give me a quick overview as to your role at White & Case and what your title is, what you exactly do at the firm. Sure. Um, so my title is Global Director of uh, Recruitment and Employer Branding. So what that basically means is I look after all associate recruitment, all recruitment for our business services functions, and I also head up our employer branding efforts. So my key focus really is to ensure that we're engaging and attracting the right talent at every level up to partnership. Wonderful. Big job. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Very exciting. And one of the things that I would love to know is how you got started in early talent and in recruitment in this industry. What did you study initially? How have you ended up here? So um, I studied French and Spanish literature at university um, in the UK. Um, I actually went to the University of Exeter, which uh, it makes me very happy that we still recruit from there. I think it's a wonderful um, institution. Um, I actually started, um, like most people, without really knowing exactly yeah. what I want to do. And I don't know if that's the right thing to say, being that I'm here to represent early talent. And we always sort of encourage people to do all their research and have a very good idea of what's going on. But, you know, it was a while ago, and not to age myself, but I think we went into the workforce with um, a really open mind. Mm. of thinking, you know, could this be for me or could this be for me? I actually did consider law at some point in my career too. Um, So did I. (laughs) Didn't we all at some point? Um, So, um, you know, and I think actually that's going to link to a lot of the things that that we might talk about today because our parents' generation, I think the idea of having, um, you know, uh, a a job that could be, you know, the doctor, the lawyer, the sort of the the very... um, The vocational The vocational, exactly, um, was was really um, important to them. So that Mm. sort of infiltrates into our way of thinking. And I'd like to think that I had a little bit of a rebellious side at some point (laughs) in my youth because I did sort of take some time to go and travel um, and and started out actually uh, doing marketing. Yeah. 
So I think that's where the branding and the creative element came back mm. a few mm. years later. Um, and then, you know, like like many, you look at what your friends and, and university yeah. um, uh, peers are doing, and a lot of them were working in recruitment HR functions. Yes. And it sort of did make me think, now I have two other languages as well, so mm. I wanted to use those in some capacity. Yeah. And I think you know when you when you enjoy working with people mm. um, and when it's something that's a real passion, it's something that you seek out mm. at every opportunity. Mm. So I didn't find my way straight to recruitment. Um, I actually ended up um, in investment banking okay. um, in a sort of client services role. Yeah. So I was working for a derivative sales desk. Um, I started out at JP Morgan um, and I, I then went to Merrill Lynch and I was doing similar things each time. Yes. And what I realized was I was focusing very hard on the client side. Yeah. So speaking to people, it gave me an opportunity to use my languages. Yes. I, was, I was dealing with clients um, in, in those countries so that clearly was was a, a big part of the allure of that particular role yeah. um, but you know I knew it wasn't forever and I think um, you know I was dealing with a lot of skills that weren't my natural skill mm. set so it kind of makes you quite self-aware as well and I think without having you know a very fixed path I knew what I liked about these roles that I'd done and I knew what wasn't quite for me um, so I ended up um, using my network back then which was not LinkedIn sophisticated but um, <laughs> I still knew a lot of people um, you know from university and various yes. different um, people that I'd met along the way um, and uh, and I ended up um, interviewing with Lehman Brothers at the yes. time uh, for my first uh, recruiting role and I think when you pair together like I say, the, the creative part of it that I'd done from the marketing side, I actually had the business knowledge now from mm. having worked, um, you know, with sales yes. people and traders. So I was able to understand what it is that I was selling to yes. a potential recruit um, and the people aspect of it. Yes. I and mean, those three things came together in this yes. role for me. And I finally felt like I'd found my home um, because I was able to bring in mm. all those skills that I think best, you know, best came out and, and, and where I was able to really um, show my potential um, in a big way. So I started off at Lehman Brothers and I've never really looked back. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, it was a wonderful sort of epiphany almost mm. where you understand exactly, exactly why you are uh, where you are. I love that. I love that. And then you moved from obviously Lehman Brothers in um, financial services over to law. Um, was that at White and Cases where you moved over? Correct. Yes. So I spent many, many years at Lehman Brothers and then subsequently at Nomura. I was actually with Lehman Brothers during the bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, so switched over to Nomura. I spent some time in Asia. I spent yeah. some time, most of my time in London and Europe. Um, and then most recently moved to the US, um, where I then transitioned into um, into my very first uh, law firm, which is White and Case. So yeah. moving over from the financial services industry into legal. Mm. And has that been a big jump moving between industries and between countries? I can imagine it would be. <laughs> So, I mean, look, I think it's always a change, regardless yes. of what kind of overlap there may be. Um, and, you know, White and Case, a lot of the practice areas focus on very similar yes. um, types of work to what I was used to mm. coming from financial services. Um, but it's not about that. I think it's about the dynamics of an organisation, for me specifically, the way the recruitment processes yes. work, both in that country and within that sector. Yeah. Of course, it's different. So you can never underestimate, you know, the ramp up time and totally. how long it's going to take to really get into the DNA of an organization mm. and a sector that you may be less familiar with. Yes. Having said that, the years of experience that go before all feed into, um, you know, how successful you're going to be yeah. in that change. Absolutely. And I think that's where the idea of industry knowledge as to recruitment and the recruitment processes and how things work and how you think things should work really come into play but also the soft skills that you were speaking to earlier that's where transferable skills are essential because you're able to 
take on that learning curve and really understand what you need to be doing and how you need to be going about doing that. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of um, your career, I know that you're focused, you mentioned how you're focused on the sort of employer brand side of things as well. What is so exciting about uh, that for you, particularly in the legal industry, I think, um, similar with, you know, very corporate industries, financial services as well, um, that have sort of quite, they have quite, you know, traditional perceptions within the within the market and within what of what people expect that to those industries to be like why is something like employer branding so important to you I think exactly for that reason yeah because there's so much that can be done to make to bring uh you know a culture and a brand to life yes. and I think when you've lived an organization and you understand what it's all about that's the exciting part yeah. right? it's the challenge of how do I now articulate this to a highly highly sophisticated audience mm. by the way who are getting these messages a Everywhere. million times a day from all over. Um, I think different organizations do it better and worse. I yes. think there's many different ways to approach it. But I think what we can't underestimate is that, like I say, the audience that we're targeting is highly sophisticated. Mm -hmm. What they're looking for is a real engagement and a connection with the brand. So I think the most important thing when we're thinking about different strategies is to always ensure that they're authentic to who we are. Yes. We're not just trying to push out something that we think they want to hear, but we have to be true to what is actually real within the organization. Yeah because we know that they're going to come in, they're going to make a decision, they're either going to choose to stay or they're going to choose to yep. leave. So we want to make sure that there's full transparency, but that we're projecting the best of ourselves out there so they can understand you know, what the potential opportunity is. Yeah, I really like that. And it's about humanising what Absolutely. companies are like. I think also that ties into the idea that people have different I am. They have different perspectives on their career these days and what companies can offer them. And I know you'll always hear this, that when you're in an interview, you need to be interviewing the company as much as the person is interviewing you as well. And that really, I think that if you can get to a point where you have that authentic understanding of what that firm or that company or that role is going to be like, it, it puts you in a better position because at the end of the day we sometimes forget that not every role is for every person and what not every company is for that person either. Um, so I guess that kind of leads into some of my next questions, which I wanted to touch on some of your challenges and successes that you've faced. Um, some highlights perhaps throughout your career can be within White and Case or, um, or earlier. I'd love to hear about that. So look, I think the one that springs to mind and will always probably for the rest of my career, if not my life, um, and it's, the, it's both the challenge and the success was the uh, Lehman Brothers bankruptcy. Yes. So, so I lived through that with a lot of you know, important colleagues, wow. peers, um, you know, a, a massive team that we built. Um, and you know, from one day to the next, it just wasn't there. So yeah, wow. you know, there were a lot of us that sort of questioned what our next move were, but overnight, you know, so the, normally when you're thinking about changing companies changing mm. careers thinking about what your next step is you do that with you know meticulous consideration mm. and planning and thought whereas for us it sort of came upon us in a really dramatic fashion yes um and you know we're looking at people around us all over the place that that you know their lives have flipped overnight mm. um and for me personally in terms of what what we did with that you know i i've been part of a team that i genuinely valued and I appreciated and in everything that you hear and everything that you read these days about engagement and culture and the employee experience for some reason and look I know that it in the end it, it wasn't a happy ending but 
Lehman Brothers had found a way to mm. capture that in yes. people's hearts. And, you know, I really enjoyed being part of that organization. So albeit that it, you know, had taken on a massive change and a new um, a new owner, let's say, and Nomura had come in to, to buy out the uh, the European and Middle Eastern uh, parts of Lehman Brothers, and, and we were a part of that buyout, um, I decided to stay with my team. So there yes. were a few, I think it was... We were two weeks without knowing whether Nomura would want to keep us wow. on or not, or whether they'd want to outsource the function. So there were a lot yes. of decisions being made. We were kind of in limbo for a mm. while. Um, and, you know, it's funny because there's a real sort of camaraderie that goes around yes. some of that. So, um, you know, we were together in, in a lot of those decisions. And I will say that all the other, this is a bit of a sidebar, but all the other recruiters around the city from all the other investment mm. banks all came together around us. And we're all sharing opportunities wow. and getting us in to speak to people and really trying to connect us and, and give you know all the all the recruiters in my yeah. team an opportunity for that sort of move to something because yes. obviously we were all suddenly out there uh, potentially looking for roles and it's it's kind of strange because I think my natural instinct would have been to jump to something else mm. but because I felt like I genuinely built something and some great knowledge and, and like I said earlier I found my place yes. a little bit um, and I really enjoyed working for the manager that was leading our team and he had committed to staying on mm. in whatever shape that looked like so there were a handful of us that decided to stay with him mm. and I think this is where you turn that here's everything we knew and we need to put that away now. Yes. And here's the carte blanche of a new organization to us that we were very unfamiliar with, who had no recruiting function mm. because they were so small before, yes. they were outsourcing everything to agencies. Now all of a sudden they're saying, okay, we've agreed to keep on this function, now design something for yeah, us. Yeah, wow. So the opportunity to rewrite how we were doing mm. our assessments, because even though Lehman was great, we didn't do things particularly well, I no. would say. I think the best practice, because we had a strong brand at the time, we attracted great candidates regardless, and those were boom markets. So yeah. it was kind of, it was almost difficult not to get a great class of, yes. of students in. So suddenly it wasn't the case anymore, and suddenly mm. we had to really rethink how we were doing things. So, you know, we introduced kind of the concept of case studies. Mm. We started thinking about online testing, which we'd never done before. We started thinking about, you know, what the candidate experience was really for the first time because we had to understand it for the first time yes. because we were suddenly looking for kind of a different type of candidate. Yes. Um, so I think we turned that around really quickly. It was September, as everybody knows. Mm. We had signed up for all our campus events as oh Lehman goodness. Brothers. Uh, we, we had to quickly wow. get on the phone to all our schools um, to try and persuade them to please switch the name to something different. Wow. Um, we were on campus by November selling an Amora program. Now, we didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but I think we sort of had a sense of how we'd want to shape mm. it. And we were trying to brief senior speakers on how they should be presenting this when they themselves were getting used to the proposition. So I think it really pushed everybody to the edge of mm. what you think you can do to show you what you can actually do. Yes. And we came together as a team. Like we really, were, I think those were some of my, you know, fondest memories. The hardest ones, but mm. but the fondest ones as well. And I think that lesson and that experience has really set me up for anything else. That's Absolutely. Come after that. Absolutely. That dealing with that uncertainty of change and not knowing what today is going to look like. I imagine that would have been personally and professionally very scary. Yeah. But very a very important um, part of your career, as you said, to be Absolutely. able to go through that and build a great brand yeah. and experience for candidates out of that. I yeah. think, yeah, wow. It's it's pretty crazy, honestly. It is. It is. Um, did you did you find what did you find that um I guess your potential candidates were saying? What was their reaction? 
So it was really interesting, actually, and it's a very good question. So starting with um, the class who would have been there that summer. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Um, do you know the interesting thing, though? In all the years that have followed, I don't think I've ever had such an amazing set of people as I did that year. Yes. Because we offered it to a lot of people. Now, yes. we, we honoured the offers. So... Mm-hmm. Albeit that we didn't know what that was going to look like, mm. we said to them, it's up to you. We would love to have you back. It will be as part of Nomura, not yes. as part of, of Lehman Brothers. But we were very keen to make sure that we were off on the right footing and it was the right thing to do. Yes. Um, not all of them chose to come back. Sure. Um, a small portion of them did. Those people, each and every one of them, have gone on to do incredible things. Wow. And I think it's because when you try and pinpoint it and you analyse who it was that stayed and why and their reasons mm. and what backgrounds they had and where they came from, they were super entrepreneurial. Yeah. They were ready to take a risk. They knew yeah. that they were at the very start of their career and mm. the world was changing around them. Absolutely. So if ever you're going to take a chance, this is probably totally. the right time. Um, so what they learned from having to build their businesses and their teams up from the ground mm. and you know the kind of resilience and, um, and all those kind of skills that come with that, the yeah. collaboration, the having to just figure it out. Adaptability. Correct. You know, risk-taking. But they knew that yeah. the exposure that they would get and the lessons that they would learn would mean something to yeah, them wow. in the future. And it did. And so, like I say, that group of people I have extremely fond memories of mm. because I think that we hired them into something, they went into something completely different, but they changed themselves for yes. it. Um, and I think they got a lot more out of it in the end, actually. Yeah, that's a really important lesson, I think, to potential candidates, but also to people that are going through change within their organisations. I think that, you know, it doesn't mean it's the end of the line. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, just throw it all in. You can reinvent it and have an, a great result as you obviously had for that group of people. Yeah. it's. I think that's true today more than ever before. Mm. So what we're seeing with this landscape um, is that, you know, millennials and to coin a very, very overused term, and I, I'm sure that every millennial hates being called a millennial, <laughs> but just so that we all understand... I think that they are so much better um, at taking risk yes. in terms of their careers. They're more self-aware. They understand what they want and what they don't much yes. quicker than I think you know generations have done yes. before. What that means is, I think the flip side is that the employer has to deliver more. Yes. So you know, in terms of adapting to change, I think they've they've gotten very good at that, mm. um, and it's a it's a real blessing and it's a gift to know Absolutely. exactly what you want and not be afraid to. Absolutely, it. and that also, from an employer's perspective, leads to the attrition rates, particularly within financial services and law and these corporate jobs where people will come out of school and they will stay for a couple of years and then go on to do something else because it's not this generation is as you said they're very adaptable to change and so they're not and they're risk takers so they're not afraid to leave and jump into something else after a couple of years but this is what makes it so fascinating today because not for much longer will we have so many generations within a melting pot of kind of these corporate organizations and so with the baby boomers exiting slowly along with that goes a lot of institutional knowledge experience but deep rooted experience and what you're exchanging it for Mm. It's that transient workforce. Yes. So now how is the employer going to cope with making sure that they're hiring the right people that have some kind of level of retention, mm. enough to train others and to build that culture back up yes. again? So I think this is where, you know, the analysis that goes on within organizations, how they're structured, what the next move is in terms of, um, you know, uh, 
talent management and attraction makes it so interesting because it's going to look so different in 20 years. So different. And that's very, very exciting. I think that leads to my next sort of questions about what your some of the work that you're doing at White and Case in terms of the summer associate program and then how that leads to graduate op- opportunities, what its purpose is within the organisation and yeah, why, why you, what you want to achieve out of those. So the summer associate program in the US is the flagship program yes. um, for us within our early talent recruitment. Um, and I think for a lot of big organisations, it will be the same. And the concept of the internship or the summer associateship or whatever we want to call it hasn't really changed. And I think for good reason. Um, and it, actually, if anything, it becomes more important as time goes on because of some of the yes. things that we've just discussed. For us, it gives us an opportunity not only to showcase everything that we have, but to ensure that students understand everything that we have before they launch into their, you know, associateship within the firm so that they know what kind of networks are here and available to them, what kind of opportunities, what kind of practice areas they might want. Because, Mm. you know, the idea of going to law school is wonderful, but it doesn't show you where your best skill set is that aligns to which practice right people always struggle am I a litigator should I be doing corporate work and it could be that you could do both yes either you need to try everything out first to give it to you know to really give it its best chance because you have this almost this image in your mind of what you think it's going Mm. to be and it's really hard to sort of um, you know remain neutral when you come into a place and think I'm going to look at everything with a fully open mind and I'm going to try a little bit of everything because in your head if you think you're going to be a litigator because of everything Mm. All the images and all the kind of, you know, the media that surrounded you forming this image, um, it's really difficult to convince you otherwise. So I think that that 10 weeks over the summer where you get to try a little bit of everything is really important. Second thing, and I think especially to this generation, is that concept of a cohort and a network. Because this is a large group of people who are smart and ambitious and, you know, will, will have amazing careers be that at White and Case, at another law firm, with a client, as a GC somewhere, they will go on to do amazing things. So the fact that you have that immediate network of 100 plus people is such a gift. Mm. And I think that that is sort of one of the highest value um, elements of Absolutely. this program. Absolutely. And aside from anything else, you know, it's, it's really that, that opportunity to learn the real work on the job and yes. to really sort of get into the nitty-gritty of okay when I walk through the door and I turn the computer on what does it mean because we understand this all in theory and everything that we can do from the branding side and the coaching side and the sort of bringing you in so that you understand this is a part of that journey it's really sort of the culmination of everything that we've been doing with the student with the school to kind of get them to that point so what we hope is that it shows us that we've hired you know the right people for the organization that we understand where their skills are so that we can channel them into the right practice areas that for them they come to that conclusion themselves because they've tried lots of different things they've seen everything they've experienced the culture firsthand and they've made an amazing group of friends Mm, I love that I think that's a very um yeah very true representation of how it is and how it should be I really liked your point about the open-mindedness because I think that's something that I know I have lost in you know at times in my career and particularly when I was at school because you have these ingrained perceptions of what a company is like or what a role is like or what a job might be like whatever it is so I I was going to ask you about desk readiness but I think you've already touched on that and I really think the importance of open-mindedness is you can't go past that what are some of the things that you 
I guess we'll be doing to foster that? Or how do you how do you even identify that sense of open mindedness within, yeah. within a candidate? Look, I mean, I think the, the desk readiness is a really good question because um, and the open mindedness piece is, is a big part of yes. that. Yes, and I think just to sidebar a second, but I think um, everything that recruiters are doing in this time and space now goes around. Um, you know who are the best candidates and and for yes. me that's not who are the best from the best schools with the best no. grades that's not it at all and I no. think that's quite an antiquated um, way of thinking about it it's who is the best fit yes. for our organisation and I also kind of hate the word fit mm. but it's the only way to express it clearly is who is going to succeed here yes um, who is going to enjoy a fulfilling career at White and Case yes and it wouldn't be the same at fill in the blank for another law yes. firm, right? Because we do have different cultures and different organisations function in different ways. So what are we doing to foster that? I think it starts from the very earliest point in the interview process. And, you know, we hear a lot about behavioural interviewing now, competency interviewing. It's becoming part and parcel, and it really should. And I think along with an organisation understanding that this is the person that potentially has the highest success um, potential yes. at a firm it's understanding what we see as success so yeah. we need to understand what good looks like for ourselves yeah. first so in designing a set of competencies of which you know entrepreneurialism collaboration and they're not sort of so distinctive from others but it's it's a few that we've identified as particularly important to us so you know looking for those throughout the whole process and then carrying that through throughout that career framework and throughout their sort of journey as they go through each milestone within the training programs that they will go through throughout their career here is really just reinforcing that every time. And I think when you display those behaviours, others will yes. see that and mirror it. Hopefully. Yes, yeah. I think that's really important because it is, as you said, it's about the behaviours and it's about, um, it's about having students and not even students, every um, level of talent within the organization representing not all of them but a, a group that will fit or add to your culture and be able to succeed to the um, ideas and in the way that you think is beneficial for the firm but also for the individual's own career yeah that's all that you can hope for where um do we I think it's I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about diversity and inclusion within early talent and particularly within the idea of like building a pipeline of early talent that is diverse and is inclusive. What are your thoughts around this? That it's one of the toughest things to get right. Yes. And I think, I don't know any organisation that doesn't struggle with it. Yes. However successful they are, this is always something that needs the most amount of focus. Yes. Um, you know, strategic planning. And again, an understanding of, of what the firm is all about and how we're going to represent yes. that. Because we all know, and the research all shows, this isn't news to anyone. The more diverse the workforce, the more successful yeah. the, the business is. So, you know, down to the most sort of basic levels of ensuring that we are, you know, um, engaging with different organizations societies at the various uh, very earliest levels mm. so we work with seo we work with all the different student organizations we work with you know we offer sort of 1l fellowships and all this kind of thing is really just different mechanisms to make sure that we are showing white and case 
to as many of these groups yes. as possible so that they understand what opportunities are here for them. Yes. And back to what I said earlier, I think it all comes down to the authenticity. Yes. We are not doing this to check a box. We're doing this because we know it's the only way forward. Mm. And, you know, a lot of different companies, I've seen this, sort of put diversity in this box mm. where it's this sort of, it's this team of people that are just expected to fix the diversity issues that we have. It doesn't work like it that. It absolutely doesn't work like that. And I think particularly with, um, you know, the younger generations and people entering the workforce, they are now so, um, uh, what's the right word? They're so open about how they feel. They're not scared to um, express their real thoughts and share with people. So to them, it really is part and parcel of everything that they do. Yes. Therefore, why would they choose to work for an organization that goes, and by the way, look at all these great things we're doing in diversity. We're checking all these amazing yeah. boxes and we've got this special team that are just going to be for that. That would almost throw out more questions of, but why do you need to do that? Because it yes. should be embedded in everything that Absolutely. you're doing. So I think that's really you know, our path and our focus is, to, is how to... Um, educate and engage every single part of the organization so that they are very organically embedded in a lot of the different initiatives that we're running. Yeah. So I think it, it, it relates very particularly to recruitment and early recruitment mm. because this is where the pipeline starts. Absolutely. Right? Um, and it's funny because in banking, I was dealing with very different challenges. So, you know, as you can imagine, um, cohorts going through... Um, university for economics and finance type degrees generally are more male dominated so we had a real gender issue mm. in finance i feel like in law it's less that and it's more kind of the ethnicity yes um, you know we see a lot more around efforts in the lgbt community yes. and things like that so it's new to me but i don't think it means that anyone doesn't have an issue mm. attracting all the amazing talent within these groups I think that we're just not necessarily getting it right and I say we as in the whole um, every industry every industry yeah. every company and so you know there will be a time where it becomes organically embedded fully yes. authentically 100% yes. until such time we're all going to be trying our very best yeah. to find whatever strategies we can Absolutely. To, to get it to that place there's no magic bullet and checking boxes is not it either. Exactly. The other really difficult um, thing is it, it does start at a really young, young age um, addressing these issues and bringing that pipeline into the organisation, but it also extends up to the, you know, the heights of the C level of the organisation as well. So, yeah, as you said, I completely agree with you. It, it is everyone's responsibility and that is amazing and we can definitely address it but it's also brings the challenges as well I want to talk to the future of early talent and employer branding and recruitment as a whole mm -hmm. where do you see the future going in terms of recruitment what would your ideal future scenario look like okay so I think that as we move forwards and the industry has changed so phenomenally over the course of the last 10 to 20 years I mean, it's almost flipped on its head that it's, yes. you know, I started in this industry a long time ago and I don't recognize a lot of what I'm doing now versus what mm. I was doing then. Um, I think that if we're looking forwards, you can't not include technology in that. Yes. And look, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the value of technology if used in the right ways. 
this isn't just the legal industry, but I think in general, people panic a little bit that we're going to lose that human element, yeah. that we're going to, you know, we don't need people anymore. It's all going to mm. be done by machines. It's sort of machine recruitment and all this kind of thing. I don't think that that's right. And I also don't think it's the case. I think that we will get to a point where we are using algorithms and, you know, success predictors almost in place of a CV. And some might yeah. argue that the CV has had its day. Yes. It doesn't tell us much about a person. No. Um, it's kind of like a shopping list. Yes. It doesn't tell you how things are going to taste. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, and I think that, you know, excuse the bad metaphor, but the point being, if we can pair what technology can bring us with the human element, I think that's the magic recipe, yes. really, for success. Um, so not only technology in terms of how firms are recruiting for talent and how they're using it to screen or whatever it may be, whether it's online testing, whether it's, you know, um, different kind of assessments mm. and gamification, but also in the how are we approaching students kind of way with technology. Now, it used to be a paper advert or a brochure. Now we're talking about virtual internships. Yes. We're talking about, you know, figure out what your right path is in our company with this sort of, you know, interactive game on our yeah. website or whatever it may be. It's apps, it's, you know, Instagram, it's sort of everything mm. and anything under the sun. And I think that we have to know how to use it. You can't just do everything. No. Because then you dilute the brand. But if you can use it in conjunction with how you know that your audience likes to be communicated to. Yeah. And again, that's a very fine line. I think too many firms make an assumption about what that audience wants. I think that there's a lot of research and there's a lot of um, you know, analysis that needs to go into not overdoing it and being there just the right amount and being in just the right places so that they feel like you're helping them rather than hindering them. Yes, absolutely. And that comes into the point that even when you are... I remember when I was at school looking at the whole job thing, there, it, it's, it's a give and a take... You can't feel bombarded, but you have to feel that the information is accessible to you in the right channels, as you said. And that's exactly. knowing knowing your consumer. It's knowing your audience, whether that's students or whether that's higher up that you're, you're hiring for. Absolutely. And I think that sort of also feeds into a big trend that we're seeing at the moment, particularly, which is that candidate experience, mm. that engagement, that what are we doing for the candidate? Because, you know, going back to what's changed, the conversation's flipped. Yes. It used to be about what can the candidate do for the firm? Yes. What do you have to offer me that you should be so lucky to come and work here? Now, it's all the firms trying to, you know, deliver what the candidate might want in, a, in, a, in an organization and in a career. So we've seen the evolution of the EVP. We've seen the evolution of company values, of well-being, of all these types of things. And it really feeds into how are we engaging and treating candidates from the minute they might click on your website yes. to when they sign the offer yes. and beyond, by beyond. the way. Yeah. So it used to be super two-dimensional and really sort of one section. You apply probably to a job ad you've seen, you know, to some vacation scheme or an internship. Yeah. You might get an interview and then an offer and then that's it. That's it. Now it's so much deeper than that. And the level in which they engage with brand, because of the the amount of information that they have to hand is you can never underestimate no absolutely not and that was I was going to ask you how organizations become sort of more student-centric or focused on the people that they're hiring but that that's it it's the candidates it's that depth of 
thinking about their experience from start to finish. Absolutely. And I just think a big part of that, though, is is engaging as fully with the schools and universities as yes. possible. Because, you know, I think, look, investment banking, in my experience, we were pretty good at that. And I mm. think that with the difference in how legal recruitment works, we have slightly less involvement in what's happening at the schools. And, and I speak, you know, I think broadly when I say that. Um, but there's a lot that can be done there. Yes. And, you know, these are experienced professionals that understand more fully than anybody else what the student experience is and what they are trying to achieve. So in partnering with them more closely, I think that we have a real opportunity to really wrap our arms around candidates through this very difficult and kind of challenging journey of deciding what they're going to do in that very stressful application process. And so I think knowing what resources they have, because having too much information can also be a bit of a, yeah. a burden as much as not having enough. So I think knowing who they can go to for support and advice, um, you know, is important. And, and I, part of, you know, what I would love to focus on more and more is, is how we integrate with, with our career services offices yeah. um, more, more specifically. Absolutely. I I also think that there's a lot to be said for integrating um, and it's it's some some people get a bit put off by it but integrating actual um, work programs into university courses whether that is um, I know when I was at university I did like one of the internships that I did was integrated into one of the programs that I was doing at university and I think things like that that actually allows you to get that experience with a company but you're still integrated on campus I I think that that's one of the best ways absolutely before you make those decisions to find out in in person what's actually going on and how how these firms will be like and how your experience could be yeah absolutely moving um to sort of how you feel or what you think about the future in terms of roles um how do you think technology will be sort of impacting roles i know there's all you always see a headline every couple of months about ai taking away all these law jobs and everything you know moving to um moving to sort of technology assisted roles what do you think about that how is that going to impact the way that you recruit so look i think it will impact it and it already is mm-hmm. um in that some of the challenges and to go back to the challenges that yeah. we face is, and I experienced the same exact thing in financial services, is how to recruit for those tech profiles. Because yeah. that is never going to yeah. go away. It's only going to grow. And yes. the challenge there was, you know, getting people away from the very high-profile tech companies to come mm. and do algorithmic trading systems. Yeah, wow. And here it's how to, you know, pull them away to do some of the IP and, and other yes. things that, that we might be looking at. So I think it's always a challenge in terms of branding yourself as something Mm. other than a classic law firm that people might understand or a classic investment bank. Um, It only becomes more important. Now, look, I I don't think it's going to take people's jobs away. I think what it's going to do is it's going to force us to rethink how we're getting value out of those that we're hiring. Mm. So this is only a good thing. This is taking away some of the work that was historically very time-consuming not always the most sophisticated or interesting. Labour-intensive. Yeah. Super labour-intensive. Um, and if we can have a machine do that, yeah. why ever not? Now, what we're going to have to get more sophisticated in ourselves is how to teach the um, new associates coming in how to work with machines yes. in a successful way so that they're leveraging it to the best of their ability so that mm. we're using them for the more high-profile, more sort of... Um, sensitive judgment oriented yes. type work um, you know the more client engagement type work and I think that so so long as we are doing it like I say for the 
best uses of the firm and you know the industry I never see this as a bad thing no. I do see it as an inevitable thing so we better get what we want to do sort of sorted earlier than later um, you know I think it's it's it can only be a positive thing yeah I, I really agree I think that um, there's it's really interesting because it links back to the idea of open-mindedness that we were talking about earlier um, I know you touched on the idea of students and candidates at whatever level moving away from the big tech not necessarily moving away but having an idea that there are more companies out there that need technical talent but there are also companies out there that don't necessarily it's not about technical talent or needing necessarily to know all these different coding languages it's being aware of that application within the day-to-day work so you might not have to understand how to code yourself but you need to know its use within perhaps your legal work or whatever it is that you might be doing. Do you think that there are sort of any specific things that you can do from a recruitment perspective to open people's eyes to the opportunities or perhaps um, targeting for specific behaviours or openness around those type of things? Yeah, so I think, look, we're already starting um, at the sort of very early stage um, for students in their first year that have STEM backgrounds yeah. to come in for um, you know fellowships. So yes. that we sort of sponsor them for for a year, uh, the summer to come in and work with us. So yeah. that we are trying to, in doing that, we're trying to build a pipeline of talent, yes. um, so that they understand. And we're trying to sell the opportunities mm. and all the different things that they could do with that kind of background. Yes. Um, so you know, from that perspective, we're trying very hard. I don't mm. think there will ever be enough talent. Mm to go around so then it becomes you know how do you best attract those that are yes. to your organization yeah and i think and that's all that's a problem across the board Absolutely. that's not necessarily a problem just within the legal industry at all um, and I mean, I think that also comes, I think we were talking about before that obviously the industry is going to be completely different in, you know, 10, 15 years time. But one of the things we'll see is so many, I, I really hope, and I'm really optimistic about it, that so many more people will be studying STEM degrees. I hope so. And I really, I really do think this is the case. And a lot of the work, particularly, I think a lot of um, non-tech companies are doing very interesting work about selling the tech roles within their organisations that's encouraging people to think about tech roles or think about upskilling, whether it's doing, you know, short courses after they finish school, whatever it might be, that can build that pipeline. And again, as we spoke to earlier, it's not necessarily reflective of, you know, the school that you went to or the particular degree that you studied. It's the more holistic set of skills that you've gained throughout your career. Lots to be hopeful about, I think. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Antonia. So much pleasure. It was great. I really enjoyed the conversation. Loved hearing all of your thoughts and insights and looking forward to seeing everything you'll continue to do in your career. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our Inside Talent podcast. Subscribe to stay updated for our conversations with talent leaders.